Welcome, Courtney. Great to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. All right. So I'm going to jump jump right in and ask you a question about the mental. I mean, people know maybe we should back up a little bit. We're talking about an Ironman and maybe Courtney, can you explain to me what an Ironman triathlon is to people who have not um, even done a triathlon or what is that actually the distances and things that that, that entail? Certainly. Yeah. So an Ironman is a distance of triathlon that is defined as a 2.4 mile swim followed subsequently by a 112 mile bike and then a full marathon to finish it off. Just, just a full marathon at the end. Right. All right. So let's, let's just start with not necessarily what I think people would think is the hardest part. Um, but what I think is the hardest part is the mental part of that. And so, Absolutely. you know, what, what do you have to have or what goes in, through your head when you're trying to swim 2.2 miles, you know, bike over a hundred miles and then, you know, run through a marathon? What, what is, what are the mental components of that that are, are actually just minimally required to even contemplate that because it's yeah. beyond my ability. No, the, the first thing that I always say that keeps me on top of the mental game is frequently reminding myself of the why. Like, why do you put yourself through this? What is it your your ultimate goal is? And if there is a underlying factor that motivates you to do it, rather than getting caught up in just the monotony or pain or whatever it is that you're not enjoying in the moment, reminding yourself of what it is that your ultimate goal is keeps me motivated. Uh, okay. That begs the question. What is your why? What yeah. is your why for doing triathlons and specifically doing an Ironman triathlon? Right. So I would have never foreseen myself getting into triathlon in the first place. This whole journey of mine started back in 2021 when two of my biggest both life and fitness inspirations unfortunately passed away close to one another. Um, the first inspiration of mine is a close friend of both Alan and mine named Kevin Heller. And he grew up a very passionate athlete, super into triathlon, and I was unfortunately diagnosed with ALS and forced to watch that whole passion of his slip away. Um, he passed in 2021, as well as a huge inspiration of mine in Gary Rikus, who founded the Rikus Center and I attribute a lot of my growth throughout like the high school years to him. Um, and he also passed shortly after Kevin. And the whole slogan of the Rikers Center is got goals. Yeah. As you can see by the shirt. Um, and so this being during COVID, I didn't have any summer work lined up and I was thinking, what is the biggest triathlon-related goal that I could try to achieve to honor both of them? And so I signed up for an Ironman, having never swam laps in a pool. Uh, for this bike was maybe in the 40-mile the range, and furthest run, five miles. And had a whole lot of work cut, cut out for me. All right. So, um, yes, uh, Kevin Heller and, and uh, the Reiki Center are just two very inspirational uh, parts of, of my world as well. Actually, before you were born, uh, Courtney, I was actually at the Reiki Center and met a bunch of people over there when I first started practicing uh, in orthopedic surgery and sports medicine in the Bay Area. 
So those are two very, very inspirational components of my world as well. When you when you started, when you started thinking about that, so I guess you put out this big hairy goal of doing an Ironman triathlon. Did you have any idea what you got yourself into? I had a sort of an idea. <laughs> um, my dad had done a, a handful of significantly shorter distance triathlons with Kevin. Uh, right. back we were, we were slacker international distance people. We, <laughs> uh, which, whole way, for the view. audience, that's that's it's very difficult anyway. So I know we are talking to an Ironman, but a international distance triathlon essentially is about a mile swim. It's about a 25 mile bike. And then you do a 10 K or about 6.2 miles. So uh, to Courtney, that's a slacker to somebody like me and or your dad or other people. That's a, that's a heck of a lot of uh, effort, but I get it. I get it. It's, it's an entirely different beast. Yes. But, yeah. So I had seen what he and Kevin and you all did with shorter distance triathlon and I didn't really ever see myself getting into it but when I had this opportunity to I had a little bit of a, a preconceived notion of what a triathlon might be and it turned out to be a whole world of like a Pandora's box once you open it it has sort of drawn me into all of the the three different sports independently gotcha and I want to learn more about your training, your nutrition, your recovery, but I, I want to push pause on just one thing because uh, you're obviously not somebody who needs to be motivated to be fit. And some people listening or watching this might say, well, I'm never going to be a triathlete and I'm definitely not going to be an Ironman triathlete. But do you have any suggestions for, for people who are who need motivation to move? or need motivation to be fit and maybe intimidated by somebody like you who's, oh my God, I can't be Courtney, so I'm not gonna, not even gonna get off the couch. Any any thoughts about that? Yeah, no, I've found that through just general wellness and well-being that comes through exercise and proper nutrition and recovery and sleep and all of that, that it really helps just to enhance every aspect of my life, especially just in like overall energy levels and anything else that you you want to achieve, whether or not it's athletic or fitness related, having mental clarity and energy to pursue those goals and interests of yours is something that is very, very well supported by proper nutrition and approaching your life from the preparation that it takes to to keep your body well-maintained. Yeah, it's actually quite un under-recognized is I think the value of physical fitness for your mental fitness, um, you know, not just to maybe think clear, but to avoid things like anxiety or depression. Um, I, I know that when I'm, I'm all, you know, wound up and do, you know, crazy in my head of trying to figure out what I'm going to do or, or if I'm getting really anxious or worried about something, if I go for a bike ride, if I go for a run, if I jump in the pool and do, do a swim, it, it kind of short circuits that that crazy circuit in my head of what's going on and allows me to get a little bit better or fresher perspective on whatever's bothering me. I don't know if that's been your um, your thought or your uh, you know if you've experienced that as well. It's not just you know all about getting stronger, faster, or fitter, but for me, exercise is definitely uh, helps my mental well being. Oh, absolutely. I've noticed that in the immediate aftermath of a race that you've been training for many months to like work towards that 
once you lose that sort of carrot at the end of the stick that you're working towards, that a lot of the motivation sort of goes away and you might fall into these traps of anxiety or depression or what, whatever it might be. And even just going out for a walk or yeah. doing yoga and foam rolling, like any sort of motion of the body, I find definitely helps sort of realign my, my mentals with the physical aspect. Motion helps your mental health. That's for sure. And I, I think I love that, you know, the got goals thing. That's the other part of it, this that I think is so fascinating, especially for young people who are, you know, trying to figure out what do they, what do they want to do with their lives? And when you have something like this, this big hairy goal of doing an Ironman triathlete, triathlon, and I want to get to the story of you winning an actual Iron tri, Ironman triathlon, but the idea of having a purpose, having a goal and, and working towards that is one way to uh, sort of spark hope and, and, you know, run away, literally run away from despair. Do you have any thoughts about that in, in the context of what you've, what you've accomplished? Totally. I think one of the biggest lessons that I've learned through triathlon is that you're capable of way more than you think. And that the mind is by far the most limiting factor. Like what, what I described earlier with having not much of a, a background in any of the three sports, signing up for the race and just putting it in the calendar, knowing that eventually one day my five mile run that used to be the furthest and hardest thing I'd ever done now has to be nothing. And yeah. just that switch that flips in the mind. Once you sign up for something, it's pretty magical. I mean, I, I would have never foreseen any of this. Yeah, I have this concept I call it, Courtney, betting on yourself. And we're talking to Courtney Weitz about being an Ironman triathlete and actually a winner of an Ironman triathlon and going to Kona, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But when I when I suggest to myself or my patients or anybody, it's something pretty simple. And the next time you're, you're going to go turn your car on um, or you're going to just look in the mirror in the bathroom, if you just push pause for 10 seconds and stare at the, that person in the mirror, and this is, this is the thing I've been doing for about two, three months, Courtney, is I'm going to bet on you. I'm going to bet on you right now. So I call it like betting on yourself. And when you do that, or when you, you bet on yourself to do the triathlon, or if you commit publicly to say, I'm going to go run a triathlon, or I'm going to complete this project, the nanosecond you do that, a couple of things happen. Your confidence soars, because in order for other people to believe in you, you know what has to happen first? You got to believe in yourself. And I think that's what it is. Um, and I, I, I love how you you did that. And then that doesn't mean it just automatically happens. So this is what I now I know a lot of people are interested in. You go from maybe not swimming very much, biking a little bit and running five miles. How do you get to this ability to execute at the Ironman level? Can you take us through that journey? Yeah, I, I can do my best. <laughs> uh, the The hardest part of triathlon training, especially for long distance where you're just accumulating so many miles of volume is preventing injury. Because the second that you get injured is the second that your whole training plan is derailed and you get set back. And this is a lesson that I learned in my, my first round at Ironman was ramping up training way too quickly and being too ambitious with the, the goal that I had set. And the second time around, I had definitely 
taken a much more methodical and calculated approach where I'm making sure not to increase my mileage too much over any given week and trust the process that even with these small increases in mileage each week that it will eventually add up to the the desired amount yeah so I mean, that, that makes total sense and I, I obviously remember a little bit of that beginning part of it but yeah. when, when you're bouncing into these obstacles small medium or large physical or mental how, how do you how do you smash through them how do you how do you get around them because uh, because I think sometimes people look at the end result um you know, being an Ironman, uh, being somebody who finishes first in that is, oh, well, I can't do that. But I, I know it has come at a significant cost and you have done a lot of things to overcome obstacles. But how, how do you how do you push through those obstacles? That's question one. The second is, how do you push through what I call the plateau where you're working really, really, really hard, but you're not necessarily getting a lot better and you just don't see maybe the end in sight? Yeah. So with obstacles, I think the biggest thing that I keep in mind is that it might be one step backwards, but it's in the context of a bigger picture of progression throughout your training that might be taking you two, three, four, even more steps forward. And so it's not any one specific workout that is going to catalyze your progression. It's the continual sum of each little thing that you do, whether it's the actual training workout, whether it's the nutrition you're putting in before, during, and after sleep, stretching, foam rolling, all of the, the small details add up. And so if any one part doesn't feel like it's progressing, focusing on the other stuff definitely gets me through those moments. Gotcha. Now it's not just about, you know, training. It's, it's like nutrition and recovery and sleep and things like that. Can you comment a little bit about what it takes to, to do that as well? Yeah, the, the amount of sort of peripheral work that goes into training for something like this is almost more than what you see in your training logs. So like during my, my peak week of training for this past Ironman, I had accumulated almost 22 hours of total moving time and I think that the amount of total time spent eating more, foam rolling, stretching, preparing the gear, and making sure that you're getting enough sleep to like fully accept the training benefit that you've earned through the workout amounts to significantly more time than just what you see in the books. Gotcha. So let's let's fast forward to to when you did uh, your last Ironman and uh, sort of, I know the story, but maybe, maybe let's just slow down and take us like a month before the Ironman and how you selected to do that one in Sacramento and, and then take, take us through all the way to the finish line, if, if you will. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can do my best. Feel free to ask any questions that may arise, but for me personally, this specific race, the 2023 Ironman California in Sacramento, a lot of stars kind of had to align for the ultimate goal of potentially one day qualifying for the Ironman World Championships in Kona to actually come to fruition. Um, 
first of all, I had just graduated from Stanford and I, again, didn't have any job lined up for immediately after. And so having done previously an Ironman that didn't quite go to plan with the overtraining and injuries that all accumulated throughout the, the journey, this one was set up at a perfect time to gradually work up to the correct distances and make sure that these injuries didn't come back. And so I started specifically training for it in June, but the base that I had built over the, the previous school year doing shorter distance races with the Stanford team had definitely set me up with a good foundation. Um, training progressed fairly smoothly throughout the the months between June and October. And I was fortunate enough not to see any of the injuries come back that had previously like hindered my, my progression. But I made sure that with the course specifically that I was training for to do similar workouts that emulated the, the actual course. So for example, the, the bike course in Sacramento is very flat. And so in our neighborhood around here, the terrain is generally more mountainous. And so I would specifically ride routes that were flatter, or at least as flat as I could find them just to like prepare as you want to perform. Yeah, that's a good point right there. We should pause, push pause for one second because prepare as you want to perform is a really valuable component of anything you want to do. So you were scouted out this, this, this triathlon course uh, and you understood that it was going to be flat and you prepared that way. Cause if, if you prepare and you either over prepare or under prepare uh, or inappropriately prepare, you're not going to have as much confidence when you actually execute on any task. So Absolutely. that's an interesting thing. Prepare as you want to perform. Yeah, but it's not only prepare as you want to perform. It's also preparing for the worst case scenario where you get out there and you have 40 mile an hour wind gusts. There you go. Just inclement weather. And so I would time my training to go out and ride during the windiest parts of the day in the morning and around the evening. And so that way, when you show up to the course, you're as well prepared as you can be for anything that it might throw at you. Awesome. So you get prepared and then take us like maybe a week or so beforehand. You just, you dial it down a lot before an yeah. Ironman or do you do just a little or what do you do the week or 10 days before? So the, the weekend before I was actually in Boulder, Colorado for family weekend, visiting my brother with the rest of my family. Nice. And that specific week, your mileage is so far reduced that yeah. it almost feels like you're not working hard enough. It's like right. I've, I've trained all of these months, put in all of these hours, and now all of a sudden we're just kind of doing nothing for a week. Yeah. But it's really giving your body that time that it needs to repair the all the damage that you've accumulated throughout training and build up its stores of energy so that come race day, you are firing on all cylinders and ready to go. All right. Yeah, it probably didn't hurt to be in, at elevation in Boulder, too, for a few days before, or maybe longer before the trip, right? Yeah. No, it, 
I think the most benefit you could possibly get from altitude comes over a longer period, but I don't imagine that it hurt in any way. Okay. So race day, what, let's just go through the specifics of race day. What time do you get there to get set up? And then yeah, as much as you remember, yeah. swim, bike and run, uh, take us through that. Cause people, people are going to be very fascinated to hear sort of the first person perspective on doing an Ironman. Right. So come race morning, uh, you're supposed to arrive in the transition zone to set up all of your stuff before the race starts. And so that constitutes like a 4.30, 5-ish a.m. wake up, uh, drive over to the course, get dropped off, set up all of your stuff. And then for this one specifically, they had a bus take you from transition to the swim start, okay. which because the course was the swim course was in a river it had to start upstream and that way you end up at the correct location for transition okay that's uh, supposed to be so, the other way around <laughs> yeah no so we hopped on the bus and then race starts at 7 a.m and you're given i believe it's 17 hours to finish um until they they pull the plug and shut down the course okay. but race starts at 7 a.m and i had a pretty specific race plan going into it knowing where my strengths and weaknesses lied um on the swim since it's down river it's going to help me a lot being a non-swimmer yeah and so i approached the swim as sort of like a 45 minute all-out effort just get it over with as fast as i could knowing that I would then have all of the bike to hopefully build a lead if I could. Um, and I got out of the water and my parents who were there supporting me were, were shouting out times and placements, sort of giving me information as to where I stood in the race. Cause there's no way for you to tell right. when you're out on the course where everyone is. Right. And so they said I was in, I believe, 14th place around 14 minutes behind and so i knew i had my work cut out for me on the bike and if i had any shot at winning i would have to get into first place and build a lead during the bike and so i hop on the bike and i'm really not feeling great by any mean like my energy levels are kind of low i'm not hitting the the race pace that i was training for for the many previous months and for some reason nothing was just like really clicking until around 20 miles in i had a crash with the two people in, in front of me wow yeah it it was a situation where the two people ahead of me were riding side by side a little too close together and they knocked handlebars one of them fell down and I was in the process of passing them. So I had nothing that I could do besides just run straight into the guy on his bike on the ground. Ugh. So flipped over my handlebars, got back up, fortunately uninjured, bike still functioning, made sure the other guy was okay and hopped back up on the bike within no more than a minute of lost time. And so after that, I had a huge boost in adrenaline. I was going to say, probably right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the 
race numbers were getting blown out of the water and I was really moving pretty fast. And fortunately I was able to sustain this high level of, of output for the entire first lap of the bike course and return to the place where I could get an update on my placement. And I hear my, my dad yell out, you're in first place and you have a four minute lead. Wow. That's pretty and interesting. So I was kind of shocked. I was like, this How many might laps? not How happen. many laps was it? Two. Two. Just So at that point, I'm 56 miles in. okay. And yeah, I was kind of in shock. I was not at all expecting to have erased the entire deficit that I had accumulated throughout the, the swim and build a lead on top of that in just the first half. And so that, again, was a huge morale boost and sort of propelled the the second half on a good good start and around i'd say probably 75 80 miles in i'm going to pass another group that's sort of like in in the process of their first lap and as i ride by them i get someone shouting out like hey is that a give them heller logo on your suit Which which is that was just for Kevin Heller and exactly for for context uh when Kevin was diagnosed with ALS he made a huge point of fundraising and creating a huge movement behind the disease and the the title that he gave for it was give him heller sort yeah. of encapsulating his last name hashtag and, give Heller on the, oh, yeah. on the and so i made sure to represent both him and Gary in the the tri suit that i was wearing with the got goals across the chest on that as well Yep. and give him heller logos throughout but that guy called out to me and it really sort of put front and center why i'm doing this race back to the why exactly and that sort of allowed me to finish the bike on a strong strong note and come back into transition ready to start a marathon 12 minutes up on second place nice okay so just as, as a as a review for people who don't know this you've run you've swam about 2.2 miles in a river you've just completed 112 miles on a bike and then you have to just jump on the road and run 26.2 miles okay so take us through the marathon uh, and then all the way to the finish line exactly um so starting the marathon, I was really energized, like sort of feeling on top of the world, having a double digit lead and knowing that there is a possibility of winning my age group. And so I started out a little bit too hot. I flew through transition, like really leaning on my short course history where transition means a lot more in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Um, and started out the run way too fast, eventually slowed down and was getting updates periodically from my parents. Consistently, they were saying that I had more than 10 minutes lead on second place. And I was cruising at a at a pace that I knew I could sustain almost indefinitely if I needed to. And so I was smooth sailing for the first 16 miles. Wow. and for 16 miles no big deal everybody <laughs> yeah no there was there was rain in there which 
I guess helped cool me off, but was definitely unexpected given that it's Sacramento and can generally be pretty hot. Yep. Um, it was kind of a, a welcome right. adverse weather action, yep. um, all things considered. But once I hit that 16-mile mark, I heard my dad yell out, he's like, you have an 11-minute lead, 6.44 is the pace. Yikes. And so what that means to me is my 11-minute lead is getting eaten away by somebody running 6 minute 44 miles. And in that moment, I do a little bit of mental math and extrapolate out my pace. I was hanging right around 8 minutes. This guy was running more than a minute per mile faster, and I have 10 miles left to go. And so you do that math and you find out that he passes you in that last mile. And it was at that moment that like the the race really started. Yeah. Like the, everything before that kind of seemed insignificant. And it was just those 10 miles left. But I knew that for the first six of those 10, that I wouldn't get another update. So I would have to start just digging a pain cave, seeing how fast I could possibly push myself and sustain for those 10 miles, and then just reevaluate with four to go. Digging a pain cave, everybody, is basically, you know, maybe I'll let you describe it. I understand it this much, but tell people what digging a pain cave means. Yeah, it's sort of when you get in that zone where you're just depleting all of your energy and really just hanging on at the limit and trying to push it that one step further where you're just, I mean, the, the best word I can describe is digging a pain cave. It's almost exactly as it sounds. Yeah, I think I think I think we can get that idea. So you now about have about four miles left. You're deep in the pain cave. Yeah. Take us through to the finish line here. Yeah. So at that point, I got another update from my parents, and they said that I had a four minute lead only at that point. And so that means he's right on pace to to catch me at the finish line, like I had anticipated six miles prior. And so with that information, I knew that I had to hang on to this pace that I had set and just hope that it's enough. Um, I'd been staying on top of all of my nutrition throughout the race, making sure that I'm getting enough electrolytes and carbohydrates to, to fuel the effort. And those final four miles is where it can either all fall apart or be just enough to hang on. And so as those four miles progressed, I sort of slowly fell into a different state of consciousness Wow! where this is something that I had never experienced before. Um, a lot of my like peripheral awareness kind of just shrunk and I was just focused on the sole task of putting one foot in front of the other and hanging on to a, a pace that I was hoping to, to sustain. And then as you um, get to that last hundred, 150 meters or, or whatever, do you remember that much? And then people pay, take us through that if you can. Yeah. So around a hundred meters to go, 
you turn from sort of bleak streets of downtown Sacramento with not many fans, kind of just you and the road. And all of a sudden you turn into this corridor that has a red carpet down the road. It's lined with people, flashing lights, bright uh, music. And you've got an announcer like yelling out people's names and all that. And rounding that corner, your body sees the finish line and subconsciously it identifies. It's like, that is the point where I can shut down and this will all be over. And so even in, even if you are able to stay on top of the mental game and just like keep pushing yourself, once your body identifies the point where it can shut down, it does. And throughout those hundred meters, I could feel my body just slowly shutting down. Uh, it started with like my head and neck where my head and neck were sort of like bobbing side to side. And then I lost a little bit of control of my arms. They were sort of flailing around a bit. And with about 20 meters to go, I felt my glutes and lower back just slowly but irreversibly start to relax. Oh, wow. And so there was nothing I could do but accept the fact that I was slowly but surely hinging further forward. And about 15 feet from the finish line, collapsed on the floor. And the first thing that went through my head is that this will absolutely not be the reason that I lose this race. And so rolled over to my front and just started crawling for the, the remainder. And, and then finished first. But I didn't know that. You didn't know that. You didn't know that. Only you didn't learn that until were you, were you even later. functional after you crossed the finish line at all, or or not? I mean, just was your brain just complete fog? No, it was the best analogous description that I could give to that mental state is just being overly intoxicated and not having nausea, which is oh. weird. It was like the world is almost spinning and it takes all of your effort to focus on a single point and you have virtually no control over your thoughts and feelings, but you're just kind of existing, hanging on by a thread. Yeah. Well, I want to congratulate you on that. That's led you to getting an opportunity to, to go to Kona and that's October of this year. Is that right? Or is it November? That's, that's October 26th of this year. And so there's a lot of things you could do with your life, Courtney. And now you've got this great opportunity in front of you. Um, is that triathlon in Kona still the, the, the sole focus that got goal thing for you? Well, it started out as if I were fortunate enough to unlock this opportunity to worry about the world championships, that it would kind of just be a victory lap and I would treat it as just like an enjoyable race right um, but the the more i think about it the more i realize that this is very likely a once in a lifetime opportunity and i might as well go all in and just see where this could take me and so as we get closer i'm becoming more of the mindset that i want to treat it as a competitive race and see what could come of it yeah, that's this has been a phenomenal story, Courtney, that I know is going to inspire other people to to find their why 
to do something incredible, like doing an Ironman triathlon and then winning one, but doing it for the right reasons, doing doing it for the Reiki Center, doing it for the memory of, of uh, Kevin Heller, um, and hopefully for the people who are listening or who are watching this or reading about this, inspiring them to do their own version of a, a an Ironman triathlon. I mean, you have uh, neither one of us probably has any idea what will come from this getting out into the world, but I know that people will look at you, Courtney, and say, uh, well done, and may want to reach out to you and figure out uh, uh, how and where it all came from, because it's a pretty special achievement just to win you know, the California try and then to get the opportunity and then to turn around and, and, and think about what the next best steps are for you. So thank you for sharing your story. Are there any last things you'd like to share with the people who are listening on Vitality Explorers uh, about your journey? There actually is a specifically one thing I, I want to say okay. is that one of the most critical parts of working towards a big goal, such as an Ironman, is making sure that you're surrounding yourself with people that want to see your success as much as their own. And so having the communities that have been built by both Gary and Kevin in the Rika Center and the whole Give Him Heller movement, um, being able to lean on them, it's been very eye-opening to just to know that if you ask for help, people will be there. And even through like my own community at Stanford Triathlon, it's been very motivating to have a group of people that have common interests and can share their own experiences with whatever it is that you're looking to to get over the next hurdle. And if there is anyone that is out there that wants to reach out to me with any sort of triathlon related questions, I'd be more than welcome to. And where can they find you, Courtney? I know you have an Instagram. Are there other things you'd like to share? Yeah, you, you can find me at my first and last name, Courtney Weintz, on Instagram. I've got a pretty uniquely searchable name, fortunately, so um, I'm sure you'd find a way. All right, I'll put that in the show notes for it, and I'll put it up on when we put this out there. But Courtney, this has been phenomenal. We we you know I'm gonna I'm gonna put this up as the very first what I call pro profiles in vitality. Um, so it's going to be, you know, winning, a, I might steal one of your Instagram pictures where you're in the wheelchair with the ice, ice pads on your knee as, as, as sort of the thing, but thank you very much for your time. Uh, and, uh, I look forward to hearing what people have to say about this. So thanks for, thanks very much, Courtney. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me.